The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is saying, here's the foundation of wisdom. And then after that, we get a whole bunch of one-liners about all kinds of stuff, about everyday life. And so what we've been doing is we've been compiling these one-liners, and today we compile these one-liners into something that is pointing forward to something even greater. We see the wisdom of love and marriage, and we specifically see how it's pointing us to something greater. It's pointing us to God. It's marriage in this life is a shadow of something greater. You say, well, that sounds kind of like an insult to marriage. Well, no, it's actually elevating what marriage is. So here's where we're going. And by the way, too, listen to this. Listen, please listen to this. If you aren't married, if you have lost a spouse, if you've gone through a divorce, If you're feeling like, man, love is never coming my way, listen to this. There is a message for you today. Because marriage is just a shadow of something greater, and it's pointing to something greater. So you've got to stick with it. You've got to listen, because there is something so very, very important for all of us. All right, so two weeks ago, we looked at friendship and friendship love. Last week, we looked at parenting love. And what we saw... If you were listening closely, that there is a deeper love that runs underneath both a parenting love and a friendship love. It's the deep waters underneath the ground, a stream beneath the ground of love that is bursting out, that is fueling you to be a greater parent. It's fueling you to be a greater friend. And here's what we did. I only pointed to it the last two weeks. I didn't name it yet, and today I'm going to name it, and here's what's going to happen. When I name this love, it's going to show the problems that we, that our culture has with marriage, and it's going to show that we're really not getting to this deeper love. And so here, here, and it's going to show, here's the problem of, of the way our culture is viewing marriage, and it's likely that this problem is entering into your marriages. So here's what it is. Our culture's thinking is this. Delight precedes commitment. If I delight in you, then I should commit to you. And that's about as far as we get. The question then becomes this. What happens when delight fades? What happens when this initial excitement is gone? Well, love says, hey, you know, you have every right. Get out of there. In the name of love, get out. You deserve it. Now, here's what the deeper love is saying. It's not saying delight precedes commitment. It's saying commitment precedes delight. Meaning that if you can get to this deeper love, you're going to find yourself being a better parent, a better friend, and a better spouse. And you're going to truly taste what delight is meant to taste like. In other words, 
In other words, this. If your marriage has lost its spice, you potentially have a commitment problem. Now, here, here's, a, here, here's the thing. So this, this, this word, commitment, it's actually probably not a good word. It's just a word that you know. Here's a better word for you. Covenant. Covenant precedes delight. Covenant is about a promised future love. Covenant is about I am here and I am not going anywhere. And when you get to that, the deeper love, here's what you find. You are finally known completely and loved. So in other words, if your marriage has lost its spice, you have a covenant problem. And you got to go back and you got to say, ah, oh, let's, let's remind ourselves of what this is about. We are here forever, no matter what. We have entered a covenant together and it's in that environment that you start really tasting the delight of marriage. All right, so what is marriage? Marriage is a rare, magical, burning love where all four loves come together. Now, so four loves. So I'm going to go through them, these four loves. And I'm going to go through them in descending order. So the fourth love, which is obvious, is parent love. You get married, and you do what you do when you're married, and then you have a baby. And then you experience parent love. Okay? Third so that's second, real quick, and we talked about parent love last week, so we don't need to do that again. Second is delight love, or this is eros love. Uh, this is pleasure love. It's, it's not, and by the way, this is a PG-13. It's not rated R, but this is a PG-13 message, so that's, there's my warning, okay? It's warning is out there. So this is about sexual pleasure, but not just sexual pleasure, but sexual pleasure. It's not just about infatuation, but it includes infatuation. And it's not just excitement, but it includes that. But it's a combination of all of these where you become intoxicated in your love. So listen, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love. And by the way, the Bible is a very erotic book. Um, if you didn't know this, if you've ever read through the Song of Solomon, if you've done a Bible study in the Song of Solomon, you do not want your parents sitting there next to you because you will be blushing the whole time because it is super, super awkward. And, and, you know, Christianity, a lot of times people think, oh, man, Christians are so prude. They have such a low view of sex. Like, oh, this is... No, actually, Christianity has such a high view of sex. And it's so high that it demands that you wait until other loves have taken root. In other words, the heights of intoxication must wait for the covenantal love and the friendship love. So there's friendship love. So this is our second love. So we went fourth is parent, third is delight, second is friendship love. And there is a love in marriage that is a friendship love. And actually, it could be the greatest friendship that you could have. Proverbs 2, 16, and eight, 16 through 18. 
So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. All right, now, this is about an adulterous woman right here. However, look at what it says. Who forsakes the companion of her youth. Now, what is this? What is this, the companion of her youth? Well, the Hebrew word is aloof, which means close friend. So marriage is not just supposed to be this steamy, intoxicating love, but it's supposed to be the place where you find your greatest friend. When we looked at wisdom two weeks ago, we saw that the essence of friendship is this. So lovers, what do they do? Lovers are facing each other. A parent and a child love, the parent looks down at the child to take care of the child, to protect the child, to teach the child. But in friendship love, friends don't look at each other. They look forward towards a common interest, a common purpose, a common vision. So, you know, there's marriage counseling to work on your marriage. There's family counseling to work on a parent-child relationship, but there's no friendship counseling. And if there was friendship counseling, as soon as you walk through that door for your friendship counseling, it's, you're in a sense putting a death sentence on your friendship because a friendship is not supposed to work on itself. A friendship has a common interest, a common vision, a looking forward, not at each other. So here's what that means. Oh, well, listen to this verse first. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find She's more precious than jewels. And by the way, if you haven't been here, Proverbs is primarily wise men speaking to young men, offering them wisdom. So it's not really talking about the man here. We're always talking about the, 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 the wife to be chasing after. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at it in the context and we're going to say, okay, but we're going to look at every spouse. So every man, woman, right? Got it? Okay. So an excellent wife who can find. This word excellent is probably not a great translation here. Probably a better translation is valiant because the word is halil. And the picture here is a valiant. This is the picture, this is like a warlike word. So what the picture is being here is a spouse, spouses, husband, wife, sitting next, standing next to each other, looking towards a common vision like warriors, fighting against What's going on in this world? Fighting against the evil in this world. Fighting for each other. Fighting for a common purpose. Fighting for a common vision. Not against each other. Sure, you might fight with your spouse, but not as your enemy. You fight with your spouse of how to best defeat whatever enemy is standing in front of you. Side by side. Don't make your spouse your enemy. If you feel like you're not on the same team, you're likely making your spouse your enemy in some way or another. You're in a battle with them, not against them. Raising your kids, you're on the same team. How you deal with money, you're on the same team. Bringing 
good into this world. You're on the same team. Do you know what this is? I mean, this is essentially a ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is bringing heaven to earth. So what is a marriage meant to do? Is it meant to bring heaven to earth in your marriage? Meaning you are, your spouse, you are helping your spouse become more and more of who they're made to become. You're bringing heaven onto the earth. You're refining each other. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Ministry in marriage also means that you are fighting to bring heaven to earth around you. Not just in your marriage, but around you. If, you, if you're taking your marriage seriously, you see that your marriage is a way that God has ordained for heaven to come down into the earth through your marriage. You're doing the work of God together because you realize this world has fallen. It's messed up. It's broken. So what are we called to do? Well, we're called to bring heaven to earth. I don't know. I mean, do you know this about you? You have an innate desire within you to find a common purpose with someone else and fight for that common purpose. That's wired inside of you. You're made in the image of God, and he has put that in you. You know what else? You're, there's an innate desire for you to fight against evil. You're fighting against this battle in this world because there's something wrong here. And you're fighting with your spouse to bring heaven to earth. Not fighting against your spouse, but with your spouse. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you will make this your common vision, you're going to find yourself bound to your spouse in a way that you were not before. If you start asking, okay, how is God asking us, us together, husband, wife, how are we supposed to bring heaven to the earth? Start doing that. And you're going to find there's so much purpose in your marriage that you did not see before. So that was the second love, friendship love. In your marriage, first love. And if you don't find this first love, this lo the deep love, the unbreakable love, the love that's underneath, the stream under the ground, if you don't find that love, then you actually don't get to enjoy the other three loves that are in marriage. So, this is the covenantal love. Let's say you meet someone. There's an infatuation there. There's a friendship there. That infatuation that you feel in the beginning is just a taste of what is to come if you get to the deeper covenantal love, the commitment love, the love that says, I'm not going anywhere. Oh, and by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and say this. Most of us are missing this love. This is very rare. And we're probably, uh, we, if we're going to be honest, we're probably not finding this deeper love. Do you want to know how I know that? Because 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. The same is true in the church. And if that is true in the church, do you know what that means? That means we're not finding this love. Okay. The infatuation. 
the friendship. It's just a glimmer in the beginning. But once you find this deeper covenantal love, you find a friendship that you didn't realize you could have. You find delight that you didn't realize you can have. What I'm trying to say here is that if you want to get to the really good stuff, you got to get to the covenantal love. The love underneath all the other loves. Proverbs 2, 16 and 18. We read this already. I'm going to read it again. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. The adulteress is the adulteress because she has forgotten her covenant with God. She's forgotten her covenant with God. That's why. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Who can find? Do you know what this is saying? The steadfast love, the Hebrew word for it is hased, which means covenantal love. And it, here's what it's saying. Everybody proclaims to have this kind of love, to be giving this kind of love, but they're just proclaiming it. They're standing there on their wedding day saying, I love you forever. But then it says, but who can really find a man like this? Do you realize a wedding? Do you know what a wet has happening at a wedding? What is happening at the vows? The vows are about a future promise. If you go to a wedding, nobody goes to a wedding, writes their own vows and says this, I promise I love you today. And I promise I loved you yesterday. But, you know, if things don't go well tomorrow, let's agree to just Say, we gave it a good shot. If you saw that, you would be like, what just happened? I have been tricked coming to something called a wedding. This was nothing close to a wedding. You would leave like, ah, oh, I need something more than this. Did I put on a tie to come here and listen to this? Like, what are these words that are being said up there? Here, but here, let me tell you the problem. You go there to a wedding and you want to hear the promise of a future love. But our culture is sneaking in this other thinking that says, you know what? You have the right. If, you don't, if you're not delighting in this anymore, you have the right to go. Get out of there. That's not a covenant. That's delight equals commitment, but if the delight goes, the commitment goes. Wisdom is saying, enter into the covenant first, and then you're finally going to start experiencing what true friendship love is in your marriage, what true delight love is in your marriage, and then you experience actually how to be a greater parent. Because you know what? You know this. I mean, when you first meet someone, you're on your best behavior. If you were like, here's, you want to know your first date, you say, ah, you know, let me just throw you all my cards. 
you're probably not going to see that person again. So why are you holding back, though? What are, you, what are you waiting for? I'll tell you what you're waiting for. You're waiting for some glimmer that they're not going to go anywhere once they see the real you. You're scared of what's going to happen. You're looking for a promise. You're looking for a glimmer of a covenant. You don't want to show the person that you're an anxious person or you're depressed or you're controlling or you just have these fits of anger or that you're just way too ambitious or you're materialistic or you're selfish or whatever it is. Do you know what covenantal love is? I see you and I love you. I see you fully and I love you fully. Covenantal love says, show me the real you. Be vulnerable with me. Show me you so I can love you. Not some image that you're trying to portray. And let me love that version of you the real you, and then let me love the version that I know you will one day become. Our greatest hope is to be fully known and fully loved, and our greatest fear is to be fully known and rejected. Covenantal love says, I know you and I love you. Anything that falls short of that covenantal love, you will experience rejection in. I promise you, you will experience rejection in it. Everything else says you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you are found wanting. There's something about you, and I reject that about you. So therefore, I reject you. How can I say, how can I say that so confidently? That if you don't have this covenantal love that you will one day experience rejection. How can I say that so confidently? Well, I mean, th think about this, people. Come on, I mean, come on. Anything else is conditional. If I commit to you because you delight in me, well, what happens when we start fighting? What happens when you start annoying me? Well, I'm not delighting in you anymore. So you have broken the conditions of this. And you know what else happens? I mean, and, and you could stay together with your spouse and still not get to this covenantal love. You're just kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's stay together for the kids or let's do this. And you never really get to the good stuff. If marriage is based only off of delight, then that means if you want it to work, you can't really show your spouse the real you. You have to tiptoe around. You've got to hide the real you. You've got to be sneaky about the real you. And you know what that means? You're never known. And if you're never known, then you're never really loved. Because they're not loving you. They're loving some version of you that you want them to see. That's not real love. You're not known. And you know what else that means? That marriage is not a ministry. Because if your spouse does not know the real you, how can they help you become the version of you that you're meant to be? Because they don't know the real you. You might look like you're growing, but it's just out of fear of your spouse leaving you. 
You might look like you're growing, but really you're just in a business relationship. So, so when Elise and I first got, got I'm going to just tell you an embarrassing story about me. When, when Elise and I first got together, um, we would ask this question, why do you love me? You know, just so, so stupid. And, um, but what are we doing? We're, we want to hear, we want to hear hints of this covenantal love so that we could feel like we can make ourselves known a little bit more. So we would ask this question, why do you love me? I think I've told you this story before. And, and so I would have all these very poetic things to say, like, oh, because everything else looks black and white when you're around and you're in color, or something horribly cheesy and stupid. The, I have probably worse than that, too. Uh, and then she would just say, I don't know, I just love you. And I was like, okay, well, I won. I obviously am showing real love. I'm obviously showing more love until one day I realized what she was saying. She was just saying, I just love you. Not because of any conditions. Not because of anything like this. Not because you do this. Not because you act this way. I just love you because I love you. My, what I said was cheap. What I said was like parlor tricks. What I said was not the deep stuff. Not the deep love that's underneath all the other loves. But she was saying it. So then I realized, okay, fine, she won. If your spouse loves you because you're beautiful, you will get old. If your spouse loves you because you are smart, well, anything could happen. Dementia could have a stroke. The list goes on. If your spouse loves you because you make him or her laugh, what happens when you're fighting? They're not laughing. They love you for money, what if you lose it? But if they love you because they just love you, then you get to the good stuff. It's much different waking up next to somebody who you just met the night before, and waking up next to somebody that you've been waking up next to for 25 years. I haven't experienced that. It's because I haven't been married long enough. To wake up next to someone and see the scars that they have and to know how they got them. To wake up next to someone who you've been fighting right alongside next to for 25 years of fighting to be, to be good parents, of fighting through suffering, of fighting through difficult times together. That's much different. There's nothing spicier and more delightful than waking up next to somebody who you have said, here's the real me. And they say, I love you. There's nothing that's going to bring more intoxication than that. To be known and to be loved. An acceptance that's non-negotiable. But I'm going to tell you this. If you want to get to that love, it's very risky. And it's very scary. Because it takes somebody being vulnerable. It takes somebody saying, here's my heart, knowing that it could get broken. 
if you've been hurt in the past, you might be guarding your heart, protecting it. And it could be the worst thing you could be doing for yourself. It probably is the worst thing you could do. If you're scared, if you're thinking, oh, this is never going to happen for me, hold on. I want to, I want to, let me give you this quote and then I'll explain more. But C.S. Lewis is a man who did not find love until he was very, very late in life. And uh, then very quickly after he was married, he lost his spouse. She passed away. And here's what he says. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must keep it to no one. You must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. That's why it's so rare to find the combination of all four loves. And this is, hap- this is what marriage is about, the combination of all four of these loves. Under one roof. And I want to tell you about this. It's a gift. And this, it, because it's a gift, it means you didn't earn it. And I'm going to tell you this. Your spouse is not giving you this gift, and you are not giving your, your spouse this gift. This is from God and God alone. Let me show you. Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Why from the Lord? Well, we've been looking. So, so this word prudent It's a subcategory for wisdom. And here's what we've been saying for the last 11 weeks is wisdom comes from God. If you want to be wise, you've got to eventually arrive at God. You can get earthly wisdom in a few different ways, but eventually, if you want to get real wisdom, you've got to go to God. And what this is saying is that your spouse is wise. Your spouse is loving you wisely and covenantally. Your spouse is becoming a good parent. Your spouse is a good friend to you. Your spouse is giving you this intoxicating love. Why? Because they have gone to God. And that's the only way you get the riches of all four of these loves. By going to God. To receive this love first from him. This is, this is what I said earlier. The parental love. It's pointing to a greater father. The intoxicating love. It's pointing to God. You say, well, that's a weird thing to say. No, 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 no. Listen. This is about the union between you and God where you actually get to delight in God in a relationship with him. The friendship love. Jesus comes and he says, I'm your friend. It's the only way you get the all four riches because here's what's happened. You have been loved that way and you have the wisdom of what love really is now because you're receiving this love and now you can pour this out in your marriage. 
There is nothing that your marriage needs more than a deep connection with God. Nothing. He is the link between you and your spouse. If you have found a lover who has found this covenant with God to be theirs, then they can offer it to you because they have been loved this way and now they can love you this way. I'm not saying that Christians don't mess up. They do a lot. And the reason is because they've lost sight of the covenant that God has made with them. What is this covenant? Everything about your marriage boils down to what is this covenant between you and God? You want a great marriage? What is this covenant between you and God? You got to go to it, and that's the beginning of it. So, what is this covenant? The story of you and God. Here's how it goes He chooses you, He says, I pick you, I am yours. You are mine. I will never leave you or forsake you forever. But if you leave me, there will be hell to pay. But I'll still find a way to get to you. I'll still find a way to make us work. But if you leave me, there will be hell to pay. But I'm, gonna, I'm still, I'm going to find a way. There is a way. So humanity, me and you, do you know what we did? We committed adultery against God. The Bible, over and over and over again, says, oh, you want to understand what your relationship with God is like? Here's the category for you, adultery. We have left God for lesser loves. We have left the greater, the God of love for lesser loves, for lesser delights, for lesser intoxications, for lesser pleasures. We have left God to go to lovers, whatever it might be, that don't love us back the way God does. Who will leave us? Who says, oh yeah, I'll give you freedom. But they just leave. But God, even though, God, 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 even though you have done this to him, he pursues you still. He chases after you. Even in your sin, he's chasing after you and then he catches up to you and you're in his grips. And now that you're in his grips, what does he say? Well, he says, there is hell to pay. Hold on, Joe. He says, there is hell to pay. And you're trying to get out. Only you're in his grip now. You can't get out. But then here's what happens. Something unexpected. He takes your face and he points it directly to the cross. And you see Jesus Christ crucified. And you say, what is going on here? And the father says, that's your groom. That's your hell. He took it for you. He made it his. He is chasing you down, and he has done that for you. He took the hell that was yours and made it his own. Why would you hold back from him? Why? Why? If we say, oh, this is, well, if it's not true, that's the way this is categorized in the Bible. This is truth. 
saw you at your worst, said, I love you still so much that I'm giving my life for you. And still, he's waiting for the day, the wedding day. Because if you have said yes to him, he has proposed to you, and if you have said yes to him, then you are still waiting for the wedding day that is on the other side of death where you look, walk up, and see upon the altar your groom hanging on the cross who has now come down from the cross as the king of the cosmos, and he's waiting there for you to forever show you that he is yours, you are his, always and forever, in paradise, the intoxicating pleasure forever and always. And I'm going to tell you this. If you embrace that truth, you are going to have this deep, flowing stream welling up in you so that you can offer your spouse all the loves. And if you embrace this truth, you are willing to risk being vulnerable because you've seen how he was vulnerable for you. And now you can say, I'll take the chance because I've already got this love. Because his love is enough. I, I can take the chance of getting my heart broken because I've already got a steadfast and sure love. And if you feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to find this love on the earth. <laughs> this love on the earth is only pointing to his greater love. You can be content. You can be satisfied in him forever because everything is just, every bit of marriage, all the good parts is pointing to him. This promised future love that has come now into the present. Let's pray. God, we pray now that you would show us the truth of this. You would help us make sense of this, God. God, we are all in different places in, in thinking about marriage and where we are. But God, you know exactly what we need to hear. And so God, I pray that your spirit, the spirit, God, that you would come and speak to our hearts the whispers of your love for us so we might be content so we might risk loving, and so we might love well as you've loved us. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.